welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwane. our Bibles together, and you can open it to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As you're doing that, we've been telling you guys over the last three weeks of some of the rhythms that for us as the Sturfeld household, that's what we believe makes us who we are. So we've been telling you guys about some of the songs we sing throughout the week and some of the moments of thankfulness and celebration. And then I told you that two weeks ago, we actually had a meeting between Shay and I, and we were saying, what are some of the new rhythms that we're going to apply for the next season of our family with regard to faith and family and finances? And this past Wednesday, let me give you a quick feedback. It was awesome. We had our first ever moment with our young kids where we said, listen, we want to make intentional time to point them to Jesus in relationship. So on a Wednesday morning, that's our new rhythm now. We Wake them up nice and early with coffee and tea and rusks, which is the main attraction. Uh, take notes there. And then we get together, and for like 20 minutes, it's over before they even know it, we just open up the Bible and we ask some questions between one another. So we open up the book of Mark, and we just spoke about what does it mean that Jesus is good news? And these different rhythms we sing as a household, that's what makes us who we are. And so we were saying, as a church, we're going to take four weeks in the beginning of the year, and we're going to be speaking about who we are as a church. What are the rhythms that make us, as a multi-ethnic church, what makes us Tina? What makes us Runa? What makes us Ons? What makes us us? And so we said that there is a a fundamental rhythm in week one, that if you don't understand that rhythm, the great call that God has upon every single person's life, nothing in church will make sense. This is the primary movement, the primary habit and rhythm that is calling out to every single human being. And that is that God is not only, when He brings people in, He's always sending them out again. When He creates family, He sends them out on mission. When he blesses, he always wants to bring blessing through his people. And we phrased it like this. We said the great call upon every person's life is to live in relationship with God and to live as a representative of God. That is the great call upon every single person's life, family and mission. And in Dr. Hatfield, as with the Dr. family, we're saying that's what we want to do. We want to be a family that goes on mission together. We spoke about family last week. And that missional language, that sending language, it's everywhere in the Bible. It says in Genesis 45 that Joseph was sent to save the people from a famine, that Moses in Exodus 3 was sent to deliver the people from oppression, that Jeremiah was sent in the first chapter of his namesake to preach the God and his word. Uh, Jesus, it says in Luke 4, he proclaimed these words and he said that I was sent to preach good news, to proclaim freedom, to give sight, to release from oppression. Matthew 10 says the apostles were sent to go and speak about and demonstrate the kingdom 
And then very famously, Matthew 28, Jesus sends out his disciples to go and baptize and teach and reproduce his work. So God is not just in the business of making a family and blessing and bringing in, but he is in the business of sending out and bringing blessing and going on mission together. Now, what is that mission for us as the Doxedo family? And we've said repeatedly, if you look even at those banners of ours, we've been always saying that the city of Twane, we want to have the threefold focus toward the city of reaching the lost, of healing the pain of our city, and restoring what's broken. The spiritual and the social and the systemic issues facing our city, we want to bring faith and love and hope. And so last week, we spoke about family and community groups. And today and next week, we're going to break this idea of mission, of being a representative of God. We're going to break into two parts. Because we believe there are moments when we are on mission, when we gather as the church, ego today. And there are moments when we step into not just then Sunday gathering, but as we step into Monday, when the church not only gathers, but it scatters, what does it mean for us to be on mission. How do I live as a representative of God when we gather as the church on Sundays? How do I live as a representative of God? We'll speak about that next week when we scatter as the church into Mondays. Now, let me tell you about when I was younger, in the early days of my primary school career, Sunday mornings was the worst. Can I just tell you? Because church is boring. So I would know. My, my mom and my sisters, they were the kind of church-going people of our household. So on a Sunday morning, when I heard them starting to get up and move around, there's a bit of activity in the house, that was my fear. Because I would hope everyone just sleep in for that Sunday. So when I hear them, I would, the moment my mom would open up the door, I would have my most Oscar-worthy performance of just looking as if I'm like absolutely dead tired and still sleeping. I know none of you guys would ever do something like that, especially the young guys, but I used to do that. I would just have this look on my face, like, I would just lie like that, like, I'm so fried, this week has been so tough, I am like in REM sleep, I can't go to church today. And sometimes the mom would wake me up, and it's the worst, sometimes it would work, and I could stay home, and I'm so thankful. Eventually, I would get my dad, he was also not much of a church-going guy, so the two of us, by the time I was 10, we had wrestled the ladies into saying, we, the, the men, we're going to stay home. Church is boring. And that's where it ended. And I wonder why. What was the issue that I had? It was so mundane. It was so boring. It was so lifeless. And I came to realize later, it was, you know, that specific church, it was because they had lost something of the why of why they got together. People were just going through the motions. It felt like dead religion even at the age of eight or nine for me. The why of the people of God coming together had gotten lost. Now, I contrast that to where we are in life at the moment with three kids and work and all of that. We, like many of you, are trying to make things work in our schedules. So one of these things is my wife and I have to alternate between going to the gym early in the morning. Otherwise, there's no other time. Now, can I tell you something? If you pitch up to the gym at 5 o'clock in the morning, do you know what the common denominator between all those people are? They want to be there. 
you don't see people kind of dilly-dallying around, like just standing on like a stationary treadmill that's not switched on and just kind of looking around and just chatting with people like, hey, what are you going to do today? And No, people are there to exercise, friends. They are sweating and doing backflips and they like throwing weights around. It's intense because there is a sense of intention and passion in the gym, five o'clock in the morning. You students who go at 10, I know then everyone's, it's like a massive social. When Bandile is there, I've seen him. He just messes around. But in the morning at 5 o'clock, people are there with passion. And the contrast with how it felt at church, passionless. So now, fast forward. I meet Jesus at the age of 18. I have this powerful encounter with the living God through his good news. And I walk as a first-year student into the church for the first time that would eventually become the church that would disciple me. I would actually start working there later. And I was floored, friends, because my reference of boring and lifeless church is suddenly met by a bunch of people. Some of them are barefoot in the church. People are like waving flags, and in the worship, they are whistling and shouting, and some are crying, and they're on the floor, they're lying down, and they're kneeling, and they're like going for it. You know, in the sermon, people are furiously just making notes with actual Bibles and things they had brought with, like Antoinette's Bible, I saw that, like that serious Bible study, Antoinette there. Um, you know, people would pitch up early to church, and they would leave late because they would just hang out with the people. They would invite people to their homes. The serving, you had like an army of people who pitched up early at the church to pack our chairs and make the kids' ministry and the worship and everything just work. It was incredible. I stood there like, is, this can't be church. Like, what is this? What is this? And I realized that something had happened in the people's hearts. There was a why. And because of that, you know what the common denominator was in that church? And what gripped my heart was passion. The people wanted to come together, and there was a reason for it. Now, I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Those couple of chapters, and we'll just look at one or two verses today, Paul is now writing to this church in Corinth, and he is giving them the deep dive on the why for church, the why and the how. When you come together, I want you to understand a couple of things about the reason for our gathering and the ways we're going to gather. And he speaks about everything from how we use our spiritual gifts to our attitude, to our posture, to love and truth, the whole deal. He's going into the deep dive of church. And listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. He says, what then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, but get this, why? Everything is to be done for building up. I love it. He doesn't say if you come together. He says when you come together. There was an intention, a passion. There was a priority. This was something that stuck in the hearts of the people. But he says more so, when you come together, it's not one person and then the rest spectating. He says there's a buzz amongst the people. People are ministering and serving. People are receiving and giving. But then more than that, he says, guys, this is why we would do this. How am I on mission when we gather as the people of God? He says, when everything we are doing has such a strong why, 
that we are aiming it at this one thought, that you would be built up when you come to church and that you would come to build up those around you. And why do you build up something? It's so that we can go and use it. So on a Monday morning, if on a Sunday I have gathered and there's a building up, everything we're doing is building up, building up, building up the people of God. On a Monday morning, I step into mission and I say, I have been built up so that I can go. In fact, see if you can see the pattern in the scripture. If you just go back a bit to verse 4. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies, what? Builds up the church. Verse 5. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets it so that the church may be built up. Verse 12, you also, since you are zealous for the spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Am I laboring the point? Do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying when the people of God come together, it's not purposeless religion and rhythm and we just forced to be here. He says the reason we come together is there is a why in our hearts to say, God, I know that you have sent me on mission. And therefore, on a Sunday, man, I want to be built up and I come to build up those around me. I cannot step into a Monday morning if I have not once again been built up by God. What's your why for being here this morning? Let me just ask us that. What's your why? Can I tell you about the why for the early church for a second? Why do we gather as the church? I want to take us back to last week's scripture, Hebrews 10. Just a refresher once again. So the writer to the Hebrews, he's writing, that's why it's called Hebrews. He's writing to early Jewish Christians who are so persecuted and under pressure that they are considering to go back to their Jewish roots and abandon this Christian faith. So he is passionately writing, this writer to the Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing to them passionately to say that Jesus is greater than anything in the Old Covenant. He's greater than your heroes, Joshua and Moses and Aaron. He's greater than, than, than angels and demons and the devil. He is greater than any festival or ritual in the Old Testament. He says it's all about what Jesus has done. And it's in that context that we read last week. He says in Hebrews 10, 24, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. He says the reason, the why for our gathering, it's all about Jesus. That's it. He says, don't let your identity be reshaped by culture or friends or colleagues or just the zeitgeist of the day, not even by old references of religion, but let your identity, your passion, your hope, your strength, let it be shaped by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Come together and be strengthened, be built up in what Jesus has done, not what you can do. He says, that's why we gather together. And he he powerfully says, gather together. He doesn't make apologies about it. And you have to realize how, you know, almost forward that was because he's speaking to Jewish Christians specifically. A massive thing had shifted in the early church. Think about this for a second. For the Israelites in the Old Covenant, for for them, a a day in the week was, was bar none. What was it? The Sabbath day. So, 
God told them in Exodus 20, you have to keep the Sabbath day. Remember and keep it holy. So for more than 1,500 years, the Israelite people, think about this, for generations, for a millennia and a half, there was one day in the week where you downed tools and you rested and you focused on God. It was not an optional thing. It was the thing. It was the rhythm that shaped those people for 1,500 years. And in that context, a man called Jesus of Nazareth steps onto the pages of history. And I believe he is actually God in person who steps into history. And what does he do? He starts healing the sick. He calms the storms. He drives out demons. He says he's forgiving the sin of people. He teaches like no one had ever taught before. He's living like no one had ever lived before. He starts speaking about a kingdom that God is establishing and that's coming, that people can be part of, and that will conquer with love and truth. He's making all things new, he says, through his work. He speaks about the Spirit, the presence of God that he's going to put in his people, that's going to bring a whole new multi-ethnic family globally together. And in that, he invites people. He says, abandon your old ways and your old gods and your old religion and follow me. And then, of course, the religious authorities, the elites, and the Roman authorities, they gather him together, they arrest him, they try him, and they execute him on what we would call Good Friday. And on that Sunday, we spoke about the Lion of Judah in worship. He came roaring out of the grave because the power of the Spirit and the love of the Father said, it's not over, friends, it's only beginning. And he stands up that Sunday and he starts proclaiming that this life that he has, any person who would believe in him alone, they would receive that life, that new birth. And he says to them, I am now not only the Savior, but he returns to the Father as the King who would come again. It's powerful, but now think about this. Because of that one weekend, Hundreds and then thousands and eventually hundreds of thousands of people overnight start worshiping this peasant, this homeless peasant from the Middle East as God. Even his own family start worshiping him as God. And here's the crazy thing. Most of those early Christians were Jews. So here are a people that for 1,500 years, they had this one rhythm. We get together on a Saturday because the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath, for the Jewish calendar was a Saturday. And suddenly, hundreds and then thousands and then hundreds of thousands of Jewish people start calling Sunday the Lord's Day. Because when Jesus rose from the grave and he defeated death, Satan, and your brokenness, he said, now any person who gives themselves fully to me, he says, your identity has shifted. And these people said, I want to get together on the Lord's day to be reminded of that and celebrate it. Suddenly, a whole nation and its people that for millennia had done this one thing, they said, now Sunday becomes the gathering. Why? Because of Jesus. It's not because we're clever, we're moral, we're nice, we need a place to go on a Sunday morning. I'm sure you have other places you could be, like Hazelwood, drinking coffee there. But they're saying, no, we get together on a Sunday because of Jesus. And that's why the writers of the Hebrews says, 
don't allow yourself to not gather. Don't get into that rhythm. So can I just say this morning, can I be very blatant and say, this has been my conviction since I've gotten saved, that if you on a Sunday morning are making the decision as to whether or not to be at the church, you need to ask Jesus to come and stir you some more. (laughs) You need to say, God, there has been something in the last 2,000 years of church history where people have gotten up on a Sunday saying, yes, it's the day of the Lord. I need Jesus, and I need the fullness of Jesus in my heart, in my mind, in my rhythms, because I'm stepping into Monday. Let's get together. And if you're saying, but I broke my leg on Saturday, then I say, then ask someone who's going to carry you into church on Sunday morning. If you're saying, I have a test on Tuesday, I'm saying you should have started studying two weeks ago, student. Hey, you young adults, I have a presentation on Monday, right? That's the, if you are sick, we've got the online service for you. We've got those things, but I want to tell us, friends, we get together as the people of God. I don't ask myself whether or not I'm going to be here. If I don't work for the church tomorrow, you know where I'm going to be next Sunday? Just here. We gather as the people of God. And if you say, but Joe, I am tired, I'm depressed, I'm stressed out, I'm anxious, I don't feel worthy, I feel broken, I don't think I should be here. Can I tell you, when you experience that emotion, That is the very day that you should come to church. Because it's not your strength, it's Jesus and His people. Come and sit down, let others stand around you in strength. Because there will be a day where you stand and someone else will sit. And they will say, I came to church, and you guess what? You know, all of my issues didn't magically evaporate. The stress and the angst was still there at times, but the people of God built me up, and I was there to build them up. We gather as the people of God. There's a why, friends. Okay, but how then? If that's the why, let's make it very simple. If Jesus is the why, it means the how of gathering must be, you know, the tone of that must be set by Him, isn't it? If what He did is the how and it's the why for us, then then how we gather should be set in tone by what He's done. So let me make it very simple for us. Because of Jesus... We don't come to spectate on a Sunday, we come to celebrate on a Sunday. We don't come to spectate on a Sunday, we come to celebrate on a Sunday. Let me take us back to the early church, the beginning of the church, Acts 2. It says, every day they devoted themselves. It wasn't my mother and my sisters forcing me to go to church. There was something different. And what does it say, verse 47, when they got together, they were praising God. There was a praise. There was a passion. There was a five o'clock in the morning gym energy amongst the people. We come together. And where did that come from? Was it the compulsion of the people? Was it being forced by the leaders? Was it like the lights and the smoke and the, you know, the inspirationals preaching? What was it? No. It says in verse 43, the people were filled with awe. They were filled with awe. It was awe-inspiring. It was awesome what what Jesus had done for them. There is no church without Jesus. The reason that we came together and the way that we come together has everything to do with what Jesus has done. It's not tradition. It's not compulsion. 
It's because of him. And therefore, whenever the early church came together, it was not a Sunday meeting. It was not a Sunday gathering or a Sunday assembly or a Sunday get-together. It was a Sunday celebration. That's what we call them in Doxodeo. We don't speak about the Eredins. We speak about Sunday celebrations. That's just a jab. Why? Because we are celebrating not what we can do, but what Jesus has done. Everything about a Sunday must be influenced by the victory and the freedom of Jesus. When we open up the Bible, it's to be reminded of Jesus. When we fellowship, it's to strengthen one another toward Jesus. When we serve, it's to invite the people of our city into the space and get to know Jesus. It's to honor Him with what we do. We pitch up early and we leave late because we want to influence one another and get to know one another for Jesus. Everything we do is to minister about and for and to when I was in primary school, church was staunch. It was serious. It was intense. It makes me think of Irma Bombeck. She's an American author, and she says once she was in church, and there's a, a single mom sitting with her son, five-year-old son, and he's just being a five-year-old child. So he's laughing, and he's joking, and he's like just being silly. And at one stage, she says this kid just smiles at like the guy next to him, and this mom turns around, and she's like, stop smiling. We're in church. And I think, how often is that the tone for our gathering? But friends, go to Galatians 5, the fruit of God's Spirit just growing in us. Do you find the fruit of seriousness there? You don't find it. Yes, there are moments of contemplation and crying before God and lament that the world sucks and this is broken. And God, I'm, I'm crying out to you like the Psalms. I'm quiet before you. But yet, one of the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's joy. We come together to celebrate on a Sunday. That's why I love the book of Psalms. The Psalms are the church's prayer and song book. And listen to what it says. There are moments of seriousness, but then there are other moments. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a jubilant cry. Yes, Manalisi. Psalm 134, lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. Come, let us worship and bow down before the Lord. Let's kneel before our maker. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, to the rock of our salvation. That's beautiful, right? Friends, I want us to shift and say that for us, Sunday is not Sunday drudgery. It's not Sunday routine or Sunday ritual. It's Sunday celebration because of Jesus. That's why we gather. That's why you carry me with my broken leg, because of Jesus. And here's the principle. Am I forcing us to do something that we can't do? No, never want to do that. That's dead religion. But the, the principle is that I am shaped in my actions by the thing that brings me the most joy in my life. And we do that so naturally. Just before we moved here to Pretoria, three years ago, I went to watch uh, Miles Kennedy here at the Dome. Mainland Maine. Man, that was powerful. You saw hardened men who pitched up there with their bikes and their leather and their long beards and their tattoos. You saw them abandoning all forms of decency. When that man with his acoustic stepped onto that stage, one guy, 3,000 people, and he struck a few chords, they just lost it. They were like a bunch of believers basically in that moment. Like, yes, Miles Kennedy, yes, beautiful, amen. 
They could have taken up an offering, I think, at that concert. It would have been beautiful. Or how about the 2019 World Cup final? We were actually here at Doxa Brooklyn for the Global Leadership Summit that Saturday. And the organizers realized if we don't put that game smack in the middle of that whole thing, everyone's going to leave it anyway. So we had like 400 people squished into that auditorium watching that final together. Friends, it was electric. And when Cheslin Colby got that ball and he stepped and he scored, friends, I saw old men making backflips on the stage. It was beautiful. You saw men with canes embracing each other, kissing each other on the mouth. It's pre-COVID times. That was beautiful. We were going ballistic. Or how about recently? I'll spoil it for you. Spider-Man No Way Home. Spoiler alert. Close your ears. If you haven't watched it yet, that's your fault. That moment where you realize all three, the Spider-Men, are coming together, friends. And they swing into action together. Oh, man, our kinney went ballistic. People were throwing those, like, 200 rand popcorns of them just away. It's like, yes, Marvel, you know us, and you bless us. We do this so naturally already. The greater the source of the joy of celebration, the greater the expression of the, the celebration, right? If that's in my heart, it's going to be out there. So I want to say to us, this is not being forced, but wherever hearts are defined by the grace of Jesus, Sundays will be defined by great celebration of Jesus. This quote has a bit of a bite to it, but I think about my own life and it's the truth. David Watson says, infectious, joyful delight in God's presence needs urgently to be recaptured by the church. We need to remember that true worship, man, it's a sacrifice. Our problem is not that we are not expressive people. Our problem is that we're not excited about the Lord. Yeah. But it's the truth. And the reason I come is not so that I can show my worthiness. It's to be strengthened once again. How do I go on mission when we gather? It's by saying, Jesus, I'm not here to spectate. I'm here to celebrate in my weakness, in my brokenness, in the depression, in the cancer. I'm here to celebrate what Jesus has done. Friends, we've got 168 hours in this week. And I want to say this hour and a half, it is the pinnacle. Before I step into Monday, I say, Jesus, bring me together. Build me up. Allow me to build up. And let's go. You know, for Shay and I, the first flat we ever stayed in, and that's been the repeating pattern every time we were in a complex. The yearly GM meeting, you would just get a bunch of owners there. All the guys that are just leasing, they would never come, even though they could stand proxy. Why? Because they saw themselves as just passing through. This is not my thing. I'm not an owner of this. And I want to invite you today, if you're a partner of our church, to make this place yours. Become an owner of what we do on a Sunday when we come together. Because owners, they walk into spaces and they want to add value to their homes. An owner, when it sees a problem, he or she, he makes it his problem. That dust, you know, in the corner, that crack in the wall at your home, you tackle it because it's mine. Owners take pride and joy in their homes and they want to invite people to it. So can I invite you in this year to take ownership of what's happening here on a Sunday? Take ownership of the relationships this year. Friends, pitch up early and leave late because we can invest in one another. We have our community groups, and that's the primary relational space. But here is a place where you can greet other people. Don't wait for the minute to mingle. 
Shay was just testing your heart this morning. But you walk in here and you connect with the new people. You invite someone every week to your house, to your place for coffee. Go to the mall and get something to drink. This is church. Take ownership of the relationships. Take ownership of the serving opportunities here at church. Guys, listen to me. The worship, the production, the kids' ministry, the prayer team, the crew, we want to move forward as a church. And the reality is we will never be able to do a second service or an evening service if we don't bulk up our capacity. The only thing holding us back now that we have our own venue is literally our serving capacity. I have no doubt that an evening service of mostly young adults and students, it's going to explode. In a year and a half, it's going to be, we'll probably have to do a second evening service. The only thing holding us back is our serving capacity. So if there's a space that you can serve in, if you have a passing knowledge of a computer, serve at the back. If you have just a passable voice like me, come and sing in the front. Manalisi will make a plan. He'll auto-tune you, don't worry. Guys, the kids' ministry, it's a circus at the back there sometimes. We need strong and committed people to minister to those kids. Take ownership of the ministry that happens here. Take ownership of the growth of our church. Can I tell you, no one comes to church by being pointed to it. They come on the arm of a friend. I came to church because of people who loved me and invited me and shepherded me. They didn't send me and pass me off to someone else. Who are you inviting to church? Maybe you got invited this morning. Welcome. You're awesome. Please stay. Lastly, take ownership of the ministry. Guys, I don't want to be a single person on stage speaking or a couple singing and people spectating. I want us to have a buzz on a Sunday of ministry happening. In the worship, when you experience the Holy Spirit speaking to you, take a friend with, the Bible says, and go and share that with that person. We're not going to tell people, this is not your husband, and go to China and, you know, invest in Bitcoin. No, that's not the prophetic. We're saying we are here for the building up of the people of God. Like this morning, Bandile, Antoinette, beautiful. I love it. Your words for some people here will stick much, much closer to their heart than my words today. That is the church. Be on mission together. I want to finish off. You know what? I think the pinnacle, if you're a comic book fan, if you are a superhero fan, if you are just a human being, one of the greatest moments of the last 10 years in cinema, you will agree with me, is when 20-something movies built up to one moment in Avengers Endgame. And it was massive. And it's kept America, as we call him, as he stands there in front of armies, and those portals open up, and everyone and their grandmother enters into the fray suddenly. And there's this moment where he calls, you know, Mjolnir to his hand, his newly minted hammer, and he shouts out, Avengers! Assemble. Unite, we'll take that. Assemble. How powerful was that? But imagine he says that, and some random dude at the back, one of the small portals there, he cries out, he's like, hey, Kev, but, but why though? <laughs> like, like, what are we doing here? Seriously. And Captain America's flustered. He's like, oh, shucks. Like, I just thought it was like, cool to say it. I kind of thought it was like self-explanatory. And he's like, to be honest, I don't, I don't really know, guys. I'm sorry. Wouldn't that be like an anti-climax? Like 20 movies builds up to this like, What? But that's not what happened. He said, assemble, and people said, 
Yes, because we are here to fight or die fighting. Friends, I want you to hear the call of the Holy Spirit for the last 2,000 years, for the people of God, for the sake of the city they find themselves in on Sunday mornings, saying, assemble. And we're not asking why, though. We're saying, of course, because of Jesus, because of the city, because this is who we are. We don't come to spectate. We come to celebrate and be built up and build up. Friends, this is Tina. This is Runa. This is Ons. And I want to invite you in this year to say yes. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we would not be a people defined by emotion or guilt, but we would be a people defined by the finished work of Jesus. May we find in ways we've never imagined freedom and grace and truth on Sundays. God, in this year, will you bring people to this moment on a Sunday and set them free in dimensions they could never imagine? God, make us a people passionate about who you are, passionate about your kingdom, passionate about your people, passionate about who you are. We pray that in Jesus. We don't want religion, God. We don't want compulsion. We want you. In your name we pray. Amen.